Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 80 of the F1 Show for coverage of the 2010 Grand Prix of Singapore at Marina Bay. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau, and we have a terrific show for you, as always, with lots of coverage of Nuisance Last Show and some updates on new faces in the field and 2013 car introductions and all that, as well as the usual coverage of qualifying practice and racing and more. Stay tuned. Please do. So just ahead of the Singapore Grand Prix, we actually have some mid-season driver changes. Uh, we've seen a couple of shifts around back at the back of the field. But not we- like the driver changes we saw last year in 2008 where it was freaking 19-year-olds that didn't know what was going on, never seen, you know, an F1 paddock before. Yeah, so – These you know, were we, veterans. We had seen with uh, with the HRT team um, – First, it was Karen Chandock and Bruno Senna, and then it was then you know Bruno got got the boot for second Yamamoto, and then Karen Chandock got the boot, and they've been switching around. Right, and now um, now it's uh, Sakan Yamamoto had a nosebleed or something, and uh, Christian Clean. Yeah, so they're bringing back him. a veteran uh, Christian Clean to uh, who uh, raced with Jaguar a few years ago, and then I he ended up being an F one test driver for a while. Yeah. And I think he was with the uh, Red Bull Junior team for a year as well, or half a year, or something like that. So that's why I went Jaguar, Red Bull, chess driver. Something like that. So uh, it's good to see him back as a familiar name and face on the grid. And uh, and also, uh, Nick Heidfeld is in to replace Pedro de la Rosa at Sauber. And uh, Nick Heidfeld being, I think, the most experienced F1 driver without a win. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And and obviously a, a real talented guy. And that's that's one of those drivers that uh, we had talked about in the past when there's these new guys getting getting drives and guys are coming in with money. And when you see someone like Nick Heidfeld not having a drive yeah. and some of these new guys have you know just being able to make deals. And, and I think it's a really solid choice too because uh, you know Pedro De La Rosa he's a great guy and everything else, but you know he just was not. I mean, once. Kamui got comfortable in that car. He was way outperforming uh, Pedro De La Rosa, and it was just clear that he didn't have something that he had before in yeah, terms of I racing. As a, even as a test driver for McLaren, De La Rosa setting really fast times and Friday practice and so on. Like it seems yep. like as a development driver, he and as be a right sub, there. he's been a sub a couple of times, and he was you know not as fast as the regular McLaren driver, but he was competitive. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, in race condition, for whatever reason, De La Rosa just never quite seemed to have it. Had a, a lot of failures and a lot of kind of, you know, just little incidents and so and on. His and his qualifying pace was never great. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, so Nick Heidfeld and Christian Clean back on the uh, the F1 calendar. And, uh, yeah, so second, I don't know if, if uh, his deal with, was more financially motivated. It was because he ran over his pit guy, you know, last race. <laughs> no, uh, I thought it was he, I thought he was injured or something happened to him. That, that That's why he's out. It's not that he's been replaced. It's that he was injured. Oh, well, I so. guess we should have researched that a little bit more but we didn't no we didn't but the other the other discussion that's been going on is about the uh, 2013 rules they're starting to talk about you know more drastic rewrites of rules because we haven't had enough of those in the last couple years exactly but it's a big overhaul they're talking about not oh we're going to change the front wing height or no we're not going to allow pit refueling anymore we're talking about bringing ground effects back they're talking about turbocharged engines back um some real serious changes to try to change and improve uh, the racing and keep F1 relevant in terms of the automotive industry as a whole. So real quickly, before we go into depth on the changes, um, do you think F1 needs an overhaul right now? Um, yes and no. Okay. Uh, I'll put it that way. Uh, no in the sense that in a lot of ways, championship's been really great. And uh, there's definitely a very strong argument for if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. But 
they've been these rule changes that have been coming almost every year that have been you know reasonably significant have been to try to improve the capability of the cars to run cro- close to each other and not lose tons of grip from all the aero efficiency and everything else. And they've basically failed to do that every time. And so I like the idea of taking a real serious attempt at getting the grip away from the upper arrow and making it more mechanical and more ground level, which is what the ground effects would do, and allow the cars to simply just run close to each other. Because what happens now is if you get within, you know, 50, 20, definitely, you know, two or three car lengths away and closer, the front wing doesn't work nearly as well. The rear wing starts to get a little iffy and you can't turn in as quickly. You just, you just do not have as much grip. So that makes it harder to pass in an F1 car than it does in a GP2 car or a champ car or an Indy car or basically any other kind of a racing. And that's, that's what's been wrong with the sport and that's what could definitely be better. Okay, but that said, I think the championship is as close as it's ever been, you know, or at least in a very, very long time. Um, we have had some exciting battles. Some of them have been more strategic and, you know, uh, races in the pit, ra- pit road and things like that. But, uh, I, I mean, it, I, I'm still excited by F1 in its current state. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I, the big thing that F1 still, I think, never has done very well is passes on track. Yeah. And you could definitely stand for more of those. I, now, could de- I could deal with more passing on track. Now, the other side of it, though, is the other thing they're talking about is going to a turbocharged four-cylinder engine with significantly less horsepower. We're talking five to 600 horsepower. And then making up that uh, horsepower delta with a more powerful hybrid system. Hit that curves. Exactly. So we're talking, you know, instead of an extra 80, 80 horsepower for six seconds or whatever, like an extra two to 300 horsepower all the time whenever you can actually manage to make that power. That's kind of the idea. Yeah, hopefully they would open up the uh, all the restrictions, not only on the power, but also um, just the, the way you can use the power because that's that's been uh, something you and I have agreed on is if they can make more power out of curves and, and generate more power under more extreme braking and so on, they should be able to do it. And that's the kind of thing that I think drives the technology forward and make, make its way into road cars and so on. But here's a key question. So the, the idea behind this is to keep F1 relevant to the auto industry. Do you care about that, Jim? Um, in a way, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I, I think the push towards turbocharged engines is cool. I think that's definitely something that is definitely more and more in today's automotive market. When you look at tur- you know Ford's EcoBoost and stuff, all the current BMW high performance turbo Absolutely. engines and all that. Absolutely. So I think using using turbo, you know, a single or, or twin turbos or something um, is interesting. And having a smaller displacement turbo engine uh, would be sort of culturally relevant, so to speak. Um, but Four, going to a four-cylinder may be a bit extreme. I mean, that that's a bit debatable as far as I don't know what the dynamics of that would be. Um, and I guess in F1 land, I mean, you take anything you know about uh, automotive engineering and just, just take it to a ridiculous extent, right? right so I'm right. sure they could make crazy horsepower like they used to back in you know back in the old days with 1200 horsepower and stuff sure, like that sure. uh so that i guess it sort of takes it back away from being relevant to the automotive industry because yeah a four-cylinder turbo i might get that in a uh you know in a, in a mini cooper or something but it's not going to be 1200 horsepower out of some crazy high revving little machine so um right but i think at the end of the day what you want f1 to be is you want it to be a car that just blows you away it's just staggering what they can do with that car which you can't do in a street car. And I think the problem is, is that absolutely is the case of today's F1 cars. It's just that it's hidden. It's staggering how well an F1 car can brake and change directions and accelerate. But 
it's largely due to aerodynamics. And that, you know, that's just the wings and the shape of it and stuff like that. That's not this, oh, they've got this crazy engine material that revs to some crazy number that does this or that. Or, you know, there's not, the, there's not the cool visible technology numbers you can kind of state that. It's because they got VTEC on there. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so those are the type of things. It's like, oh, it's because it's got this, you know, really wavy shape in the wing that makes it sweet. Like, you know, that's not as uh, sexy. It's not as easily repeatable to your friends. Like, oh, F1's got this cool new X or Y. I mean, that's kind of the... Or my car's got this new thing that came from F1. Right, exactly, absolutely. Because it's getting to the point. I mean, what's ironic is, is that Ferrari is starting to use a lot of aerodynamic bits on their road cars that are illegal in F1. Flexible front wings. Movable aerodynamic pieces. Yeah, movable aerodynamic pieces and all these kind of things. Um, (laughs) Magnesium engine blocks. You know, these type of things that... Um, you know, turbochargers. Turbochargers. Well, not exactly. Ferrari, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but you know, those are the type of things. So it's kind of interesting. It seems like ultimately what you really want to do with F1 is make sure that whatever you do, there's more engineering flexibility. Yeah, and I, I you know, this, if for longtime listeners, may sound like beating a dead horse for me, but. Is um, this a, is this a DHB? We got a DHB. Um, Warning. Ding, ding, ding. Is, I mean, what, F1, what, what makes F1 great to me is. Um, sort of thinking what if you had like all the smartest engineers you could come up with working toward the same goal of some you know really amazing piece of engineering what would you end up with and if the goal is a a really fast lap time then these cars are kind of what you would come up with Uh, except that it's within the rules of f1 and within all that which are so defined now down to the very you know just the specifications and everything that i still think it would be amazing if they would you know, and it may not be appropriate for F1, but say, okay, everyone gets this amount of fuel. This is how long the races are. Whoever gets to the end first wins. And if, right. you know, some rules on car size or whatever, but, uh, you know, just to see if, if some guys think a, a high revving straight six is good. If some people think, a, you know, a, a turbo four, if some, you know, twin charging, you know, just some kind of, you know, some curves combination. If they can find a way to get more, get better balance out of the car, uh, get lighter weight, get better, uh, you know, aero efficiency, better fuel efficiency under certain situations. I think that's what would be uh, really amazing for powertrains even. So even if we kept the aerodynamics and kept that stuff specified really closely, if we right. had more flexibility with powertrains and, right. and transmissions and hybrid stuff, um, that's, that, that's that, the kind of thing that I think could not so much in day-to-day technology, but just in the philosophy trickle down to automotive, you know, to, to automotive companies. And Ferrari could sort of, you know, say, hey, this is this is the kind of engine design. We think this, you know, whatever narrow angle V8 works really well. Or we think, mm-hmm. a, you know, or, or I know the VW conglomerate with the Veyron is all big on like their W engines. And so if they had a, a sure, race proven sure. W12 or something. W16, and that W engine is for packaging, right? And that's very important in F1 cars. Yeah, so, so things like that you could uh, – Ford could get back in it and say, hey, it's an EcoBoost F1 car. I mean, who knows, right? Oh, but absolutely. I think that, that would be that's, – that's my idea, and it's, no, it's far-fetched, but it's at, interesting. At, at the end of the day, I, I, to me, the least sexy thing to talk about about a car is its aerodynamics. And that's by far the most important part of a modern F1 car. And it would be really great if you could make mechanical grip and the engine a bigger part of the package again. And, you know, the development of it. And, that, and that's what we're talking about. Because you really, literally have frozen engines and things like that. And that's what's not good about F1 right now. So that's a, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's like, well, it is kind of broke, you know. And uh, so I think ultimately some changes are important. But the, the key is, and this is what makes me nervous, is that the key is deregulation, less rules, more ability for the engineers to tinker. And uh, tinker in ways that are noticeable and you know, things that we can talk about. 
And uh, I'm, I'm concerned that that's not going to happen. So we'll, we'll have to see. And one last note on uh, trickle-down to street technology. I think maybe Bridgestone or next year Pirelli could sell uh, fancier tires that had green stripes around the edge. I like that. And then you could be like, dude, i got the super softs on. Isn't that Yeah, great? and then I could be like, oh, man, on fourth lap I had to change them. They're blistered. no good anymore. Yeah. And a quick little last aside, um, one thing that was kind of neat is Adrian Newey designed a virtual F1 car for Gran Turismo 5. This was on – uh, speed.com or something like that. Hmm. And Sebastian Vettel drove that virtual car on, <clears throat> I think it was, uh, I think it was the Japanese track, not Fuji. Suzuka. Suzuka. And broke the lap record by 20 seconds or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> now, everything was virtual. This is all on Gran, Gran Turismo 5, but this stuff has gotten quite He had a virtual tailwind in every direction he, he was going. But so the neat thing was, it, Adrian Newey said it was a lot of fun because... There were no rules, zero rules. Yeah. And so he could design the car however he wanted in this virtual world, and it was 20 seconds faster a lap. So that's, that's wild. Just but kind of a fun little aside there. Back to reality for a while. We did have a race this weekend. Let's talk about it. Jim, did you know that Singapore is the second most densely populated nation in the world? I did not know that. Second, yeah, they, second to where, though? Monaco. Oh, man. Isn't that something? Two F1 spots, which actually makes good sense, right? If you're going to go where the people are, then the two most densely populated places in the world makes sense to me. And it's the Monaco of the East, they say. Ooh. But apparently only at night. During the day, it's just a it's dreadful just cesspool of too nothingness. Too hot to do anything. Yeah. Uh, did you also know? That it was a British colony from 1824 to 1965. I didn't know that. Yeah, Singapore. It was not, it's only been an independent nation for 45 years. Neat stuff. That's and wild. You know what this is? This is culture of Singapore. This is culture of the race. Because, yeah, Singapore is a bit of a weird, you know, it's like a city state where it's just this really small country and kind of only the one city and whatever. It's a little, little bit of a weird one. And uh, we want to give you guys a little bit of insight into, uh, into Singapore. We, it's you know, a small country, absolutely. But it, it's 272-ish square miles, mm-hmm. 63 islands. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bunch of, it's like a mini Japan almost. Yeah, it's like 5 million people there. Yeah. And, uh, and it says uh, it's one of the busiest ports in the world and actually the world's fourth largest foreign exchange trading center after London, New York, Tokyo, which makes good sense for F1. It's sort of the, the global nature of everything, a lot of investment banks and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of that kind of business going on. So it do- does make sense for, uh, you know, for one of the Asian races. It's actually right close to Malaysia. So the Malaysian Grand Prix is yeah. like very local and uh, it's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, Malaysia's to the north and I believe it's uh, Indonesia. Indonesia to yep. the south. So. And uh, to celebrate all this wonderful things about Singapore, we enjoyed Singapore rice noodle. Oh, also called a Singapore street noodle, although it doesn't sound quite as appetizing as rice noodle. But uh, yeah, we went to a, it was a Chinese place that has Singapore rice noodles. Very, very delicious uh, piece of food. It was it was some, lots of curry, so it's yeah, called Indian actually. Yeah, it was kind of a curry uh, kind of noodle with some shrimp and chicken and all kinds of tasty stuff. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was a good flavor of the race. And uh, there's we hit you with a little Singapore knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think. Uh our use of Wikipedia is pretty tremendous. So I just wanted to, I wanted to celebrate that and just hit you guys up with some knowledge. I think it's pretty sweet. So the race weekend started in Singapore on Friday, uh, as always, and with sort of some wet but drying conditions. Uh, because this is all run, it basically starts just after it gets dark there and goes on into the night for uh, the, the practice and sessions and everything that... Uh, 
There's water on the track still, not really standing water, but definitely wet spots, which made practice a little bit more interesting than usual. And we definitely saw some uh, people getting a little bit offline and getting onto the painted stuff and, and spinning around. Absolutely. Uh, and the curb hopping was really sort of the story uh, of, of the Friday practice with uh, some of the new curves they put in. They reprofiled a couple of the chicanes. Yep. And this is with 40% of the track being repaved as well. So it's still quite bumpy. Yeah. And the new corners, the, the curbs were pretty jarring, it looks. Yeah. So we saw one uh, one move Sutil made where he just got a, apparently too much curb or too much speed over the curb. And uh, the whole car was airborne. And just as it came down, just broke the front suspension. I think his left front just, wow. just came off. Uh, and it was it was kind of a wild failure. Um, but um, we did have uh, transmission gremlins for Alonzo. Um, and you know, which, which actually reminded me of, uh, two years ago, the first Singapore race when Red Bull had some transmission, transmission gremlins that I think they put down to electromagnetic interference from buried the rail cars, yeah. like, yeah, some underground railroad stuff or whatever. It was kind of, kind of wild with, uh, the kind of interference they were saying. And, and Ferrari's like, no, 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 it's totally different failure, different altogether. Um, but that, uh, did not bother Lewis, uh, <laughs> Lewis Hamilton, Lewis did not Vettel. bother Sebastian Vettel at all, who was monstrously fast. Uh, Weber was right there behind him, just setting everyone up to think that Red Bull was going to be completely untouchable this weekend. Okay, it was time for qualifying, and I think like most everybody who was an F1 fan, um, I was waiting for Felipe Massa to really turn out and, uh, you know, go for that pole position to really, you know, show his worth, you know, finally take Singapore by the scruff of its neck and, uh, you know, ring it out. Oh, but, and how'd uh, that go for you? Not meant to be. Yeah. Apparently. So Q one, Moss's car just stops on track. They you know hadn't set a sing- hadn't set a lap time at all. It was like on his out lap and uh, just had, but transmission gremlins. I think yeah, it turned out did to it be. in the water. Yeah. Uh, so that was uh, that's bad news for them. So so with that, when everyone else set a lap time, that puts Felipe Massa qualified twenty fourth on the grid. Ugh. So he was him and all the usual backmarkers uh, out in Q one. Um, in, Alon- in, in, Q- in Q2, though, um, Alonso had some, not not an outright failure like that, but they had some concerns. They said, you know, the engine wasn't working yeah, right. Yeah, the engine is running weird. And uh, so I brought it in. I think hit Control-Alt-Delete on the uh, steering wheel. <laughs> got the thing booted task, back up. Task list. Uh, not running properly. Get rid yeah, of that one. Yeah, so it sounds like they actually, as a fail-safe after the problems on Massa's car, had put, they put the Monza program back into uh, Alonso's engine. Um, which would have been fine, but then the engine was all confused because it's like, dude, this is not Monza. Yeah. It's nighttime. What's going on? But they're like, but we're so Italian. But anyways, it was okay. Yeah, so they reloaded Singapore in there, flashed the firmware or whatever. It was all good. Um, but, uh, yeah, Hamilton actually had a real good lap and was, was on top of uh, Q2 for a long time until Alonso found some speed. And uh, then later Vettel actually uh, ended up, uh, you know, topping the charts in Q2. But... Um, just another mention that uh, Force India just really didn't seem to have it sorted out around this track and started 16th and 17th, which is sort of disappointing for those guys. Yeah, but when it came to Q3, that was, for me, just fantastic to watch. Um, just a lot of the big hitters really coming out and just, they were right, they were just like stacked up just a few seconds behind each other. And boom, Hamilton puts in a lap. No, it's Button. No, it's Alonzo. And then it was it was really great to watch. And then uh, when it all came through, it was... Fernando Alonso on top, Sebastian Vettel in second, Lewis Hamilton in third. Three just huge names right there on the podium um, for qualifying, which I I really got a real uh, uh, kick out of it. And once again, which I found interesting is Fernando Alonso was also pole in Monza, and he did that on his first flying lap of Q3, not his second. 
And that was true again uh, this weekend. It, it was the first flying lap of Alonso's that ended up standing. I think it was the first flying lap of all these guys, too, because the, the last sort of couple seconds, of the, you know, the last two minutes where everyone gets back in the pits, puts on the super softs, and sort of goes out for the, this is the real one, this is where I really push. And I don't think, and I don't think anyone, I know no one moved in that last run. Yes. I don't think anyone actually improved their time either. I think it was pretty much the earlier time, for whatever reason, uh, everyone just did a bit better. So the, it wasn't the, uh, there was still the potential for someone to do an upside. So the down to the wire, you know, checkers are out. About who's going to cross the line last, but nobody moved in that last bit. So what actually what happened, what was set about with about three or four minutes to go, uh, ended up being, uh, the final result. But, uh, yeah, man, Alonzo, Alonzo pole in a, in a just, you know, pretty much perfect lap around the Singapore circuit. But as we've learned far too many times, qualifying isn't ultimately what matters, is it? Absolutely not. Gadzooks, what a race did we have ahead of us. The three true alpha dogs of the sport. Lewis Hamilton in third and anxious to win Singapore for the second time. Sebastian Vettel, the kid, back to his super fast ways on the front row. And the perfect Bond villain, Fernando Alonso, claiming his second pole position in as many tries and is furiously fighting his way into serious title contention. Not far behind were the teammates and remaining title contenders. Jensen Button ahead of Mark Webber. Felipe Massa would have loved to join his rivals at the front, but Ferrari engine computers disagreed and left him at the back of the grid. But as the lights went out, Massa was the only one to make any progress as the top five left off the line cleanly and in unison into turn one. As the race progressed, Alonso turned out to have one true rival, Sebastian Vettel. The pair traded fastest laps, the others simply couldn't keep up. Just as the race seemed to settle down, a safety car was deployed to clean up a collision between Kobayashi and Schumacher. After the field was bunched up again at the green flag, Hamilton made a move on Mark Webber for third. The two touched and Hamilton pulled off the track with a broken front suspension and zero points scored for the second GP in a row. Webber's car held together well enough to hang on to third, despite Jensen Button, who was promoted to fourth by his teammate, put some pressure on the Australian. But that was nothing compared to the pressure Vettel continuously placed on Alonso. But the Spaniard never flinched as Alonso went on to win the Singapore Grand Prix. Vettel stayed clean to finish just two seconds behind in second and in front of Weber. Button the Turtle held on to finish fourth, followed by the second fastest Mercedes-powered car, Nico Rosberg in fifth. Rubens Barrichello had a great race finishing sixth, just ahead of the storming pole, Robert Kubica in seventh. Felipe Massa made some great lemonade and benefited from Sutil's and Hulkenberg's penalties to grab eighth. Adrian Sutil, the tallest man ever, hence settled for ninth, and young Nico Hulkenberg collected his one-point scouts badge for tenth. Jim, Fernando is simply switched on. Yeah, after a brilliant performance in Monza, I think uh, the whole Ferrari team sort of just woke up and said, wait a minute, there's, we, we, we're still in this. You know, we can get some good results. Let's not focus on next year's car quite so much just yet and yeah. worry about the 2010 championship. And, man, has that paid off. Ferrari oh, just— I mean, Alonso's been staggeringly good these last few events and, it, you know, kind of culminated, culminated in this, uh, uh, you know, Monza race and then just absolutely— uh, put a stamp on it here. I mean, just incredible drive from him. Yeah, and, and Massa as well. I mean, obviously having to start from 24th uh, means he can go nowhere but forward. But, uh, man, if he'd started second, he would have been like, think of all the points. He would, he would have gotten like 500 points for this run. He would have finished I think so. I think it would have been about 500. Or something. Yeah, absolutely. But, but, I mean, seriously, though, his his run through the field in a circuit that's this hard to pass on uh, as as the, like, 
80,000 turn street circuit that is Singapore to come from uh, 24th to, to, well, to finish 10th on track, but then to get the, but the penalties to finish eighth um, was, a, was a brilliant drive from him. But I mean, Alonso was just, just unmesswithable. I mean, we were used oh, to seeing Vettel out in that was, position, and in this case, it was just it was Fernando. It was a mega drive, and, you know, he's so easy to hate, but at the same time, he's so good. And these last few races especially, that Ferrari's kind of, you know, turned up the wick a little bit. He's just been showing us time after time after time that he is wicked fast, and you just can, you cannot take that away from him. Yeah, we've given him crap for his inter-team uh, rivalries and the way he's handled certain situations oh, and, and interviews and, and stuff like so. that. But I think as a driver, yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's he makes it happen, and uh, it's, it's it's sort of cool to see this you know team come back in the championship because for a long time it was like, oh, it's all going to be about Vettel, and then it was like, oh, wait, no, it's not. And right, what about McLaren? And now it's like, what about Ferrari? So well, this is and this the, is great. And the one thing you got to say about it, he's been consistent throughout the season, season, saying, "Do not count us out. We are still in this, and we are still going to fight for it. It is not over yet." And uh, he's now second in the championship. In related news, Massa says, I am no longer in the championship. Count me out. It is over now. <laughs> did he really? Right? He did. He says, yeah, you know, I, I had slim hopes and now I have no hopes. So I uh, had a good run and so be it. Which With, is, un- I mean, mathematically, he's absolutely still in it. But it is definitely a Mathematically, shot so now. is Robert Kubica. You yes. Know, for what that's worth. Yes. Not very much. Um, so... It, it did not come to pass your prediction that somehow crazy, you know, things would get crazy for Fernando uh, and and Massa would be in a position to lead and Ferrari would look like idiots for having done team orders back then. Which is unfortunate because that would have been sweet. And um, but you know, my point. Still I would have st- owed you several cokes for exactly. that if my, that had happened. But my point still stands. I think. I think at the time they were both in reasonable contention for the championship, and uh, it's it's unfortunate that it went down that way. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, Alonso's been very, 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 very good his entire career so uh, you know it's one of those things and again today you know maybe his uh chop on Vettel at the beginning of the race was a touch on the aggressive side but otherwise i mean no reason he didn't do anything wrong he just was performed brilliantly he was extremely quick yes um and and that's really all there is to say about that but i do want to talk about Vettel uh by Vettel i mean Weber. I look at the word Weber and I'm like, oh, that must be Vettel. Yeah, the W kind of looks w like a V, and, the two B's and then the, in the two middle, T's. and then yeah, e yeah. No, yeah. not at all. Actually. Okay. Uh, no, he had a good start for once. So they had the um, not great, but good. Uh, didn't have the usual clutch bogging engine not right rev range situation. So reasonable, reasonable start. Didn't lose 15 positions, so that's a plus. Didn't lose any, in fact. Right. Um, and then uh, he took a bit of a gamble strategy-wise when, under the first safety car, uh, he decided to go into the pits and, you know, where everyone else stayed out. All the other top four, you know, he was fifth then. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, other, the other four guys stayed out and a couple people behind him shuffled up. Um, but, you know, Mark Webber just sort of taking a strategic gamble a little bit there uh, and, and decided to, to pit. Um, and and that worked, which worked out okay for him. Uh, you know, he was working his way back up to the field and it kind of rotated through. But... Uh, the the real drama of the race, as you mentioned, in the report was uh, you know, later on, about two thirds way through the race or so, um, uh, just a little bit past halfway, lap thirty six. Oh well, there you go. Yes, um, it had to pass uh, Degrassi, who was lap traffic in the in the uh, Virgin car, um, and and so Weber, it, you know, Degrassi was I think right on the racing line, not really out of the way, not quite doing what a backmarker ought to be doing in that situation. Although, admittedly, it's hard to do on this circuit to always certainly, certainly. You know, not drive into the walls and still keep out of everyone's way. So. Weber had to back off of it and, and kind of move over around the track to uh, to get around the lap traffic, uh, which Hamilton, which is, who was right on, Weber, on Weber, 
Weber's tail at that point. Um, just got a run on him. They ended up, I think, Hamilton's car um, squarely, not uh, on track in front of uh, in front of Weber's car, but I think he was like his, you know, uh, Hamilton's, his nose Hamilton's wing. There's, there's certainly no uh, ha- I think Hamilton's rear wing probably equal with um, Weber's front wing. I think he was actually, you know, a one car length ahead, I guess. Um, but uh, but then Weber was was you know accelerating harder. They came to uh, tight left hander at the same time and. Um, got together for yeah. it's the most politically correct way of saying it. Um, and, <laughs> he, and so yeah, the, the debate rages, right? So it's like, whether you say Hamilton closed the door on it, whether you know Weber pushed you know pushed Hamilton out or whatever. I mean, they got together. Yeah, Hamilton's so race ended. Weber's didn't. It's tough because you know at first I thought it was very clearly Hamilton's fault mm-hmm. when I first saw it happen in real time. I looked back at it and absolutely Hamilton was. I'm not going to give Hamilton a full car length, but definitely more than a half a car length and so he was ahead but he was never he never cleared weber as far as i'm concerned and hamilton uh when he was first interviewed after the accident said he thought he gave weber plenty of room um i disagree i because uh, the one thing you can definitely notice i think is indisputable is uh, weber wasn't sliding into hamilton weber was good and tight well over the apex of the corner and uh, Hamilton was still in the way. Uh, you know, you can argue that he Weber should have seeded the corner, but you can't argue that Weber slid into him. I don't think. And uh, so I, I think I think it was a racing incident, and I think it was Hamilton's mistake in the sense that, despite despite uh, what had happened to him in the previous race, he was being very aggressive. And I think it definitely pays dividends to make sure that you're giving plenty of room because, he, like Hamilton himself said, he didn't know where Weber was. He didn't see him. And then he assumed that he must have been totally clear and went for a pretty aggressive apex uh, in that following corner. And that's what cost him, I think. Yeah, and it's almost like the um, – I'm thinking of Spa 2008 with uh, – you know, where he had – where he, had a penalty where he had to, you know, he passed Reichen in on a chicane and had to give the place back. And it's like for a fraction of a second, uh, his car was entirely behind Reichen's car. And then he passed him back again. Right. Yeah. It's almost, I feel like that where he's like, I was in front of him just for some, some instantaneous moment in time, all of Hamilton's car may have been all the way in front of, uh, Weber's car as far as, you know, linear on the track. I mean, if, if Hamilton had been able to move over, uh, to, you know, to the left of the track to actually be in front of Weber's car, there would be no contest Weber would have to back off and it would be clear. But that's, I think, uh, just the way that they got off the previous corner, uh, Hamilton was able to make the pass. Uh, but then for whatever reason, different downforce levels, different grip levels, whatever it was, um, you know, Vettel was, or (laughs) Vettel, Weber was just (laughs) accelerating harder. You're just used to Vettel being the one getting in trouble. That's the problem. Doing the old radiator spear. Yeah. Uh, so it's, I think the only way that um, Weber wouldn't, you know, could have avoided the crash would have been to back off. But it wasn't a clear, it wasn't a clean pass. I mean, uh, Hamilton's car was not completely in front of it. Right. I I don't know how Hamilton thought that pass, like how that would have been good. Like how he would have been like, oh, I can go to the apex now. He must be yeah. behind me. So I, and and uh, to Hamilton's credit, he didn't go all the way to the apex, but it was. He said plenty of room, and that definitely wasn't. I, yeah, I just I don't think there was anywhere Weber could have gone except just backing off, um, which right. would, would have totally messed him up right there in the mid corner and all that. I just um, so it, it was 
lucky for Weber that it didn't damage his car at all, apparently. Well, I, I did take a look at the news, and he apparently it was it, the car was ready to fail at any moment. Okay. The, the wheel was – the tire was almost debeated from the wheel, mm. and he had a pretty nasty vibration. And so he was quite lucky that the thing held together. Um, but, yeah, he, he was lucky and it was unfortunate. I think the, the, the larger question that was, this was brought up on the American broadcast by David Hobbs, and I think it's, I think it's a legitimate point, is what did Lagrassi do – or Degrassi. <laughs> what did Degrassi do uh, to get out of the way and win? Uh, did he get out of the way? And I think uh, there's definitely a point of contention there. And then the even larger question than that is why don't they let lap traffic – go around the safety car during the safety car period, which is what bunched everybody up in the first place. Yeah, well, it bunches everyone up. And, of course, with, um, you know, the lead guys for position as well as guys that are lapped down. So I think as far as the, the first part of the question, uh, this track, um, it, uh, along with Monaco and probably Valencia, uh, where you can't see around the corners, there's like 30 corners in a, in a lap. I mean, it's lots of, uh, lot, just lots of, you know, fairly tight corners and so on. Um, that it's probably pretty nerve-wracking just driving this track as a backmarker, trying to keep out of everyone's way and still have some semblance of a reasonable race, especially on a restart when everyone's right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, you know, not it, it's like we already talked about. I think all this sort of came from the fact that you know the, the whole reason that Weber was slowed down was because of this backmarker. And uh, you know, there's only so you know he could, he's got to put his car somewhere. He can't just magically jump off the track. There's, there's no runoff at this place right. to uh, to get out of the way. The only counter argument to that that I would have is that uh, Glock was also right there, and Glock got out of the way earlier in a better spot. Yeah. Um, but I, I think all your points are totally fair, and you know the stewards didn't see fit to give Degrassi any kind of penalty, and I think both you and I agree with that. Yeah, I think if it had, if that had happened in qualifying, it would have been a penalty for you know blocking traffic and impeding someone's lap and whatever. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, but it just during the race, it, it is what it is. So um, to the next point, I do think uh, I, th- I think it just makes sense to have lap traffic uh, get around the safety car, uh, they, and, and have a chance to race each other. When the green flag starts. Right. I mean, it, it, it brings everything back into line, uh, not only for the front guys. I mean, obviously, any, any lead anyone's built up uh, will go away. But I think having, you know, giving these guys the advantage of, of getting some track position back up um, and, and, you know, getting back on the lead lap, uh, I, don't, I don't see where it hurts anyone. I mean, yeah. I guess the last guy on the lead lap then has, you know, is, gets lucky by being at the end of the safety car line or something right now, but right. but I just I think it just makes so much more sense. Um, I guess the only uh, argument I could see is, is a safety one is is that there's more guys driving out on the track that aren't you know bundled up behind the safety car. So if there is some hazard on track or something unsafe going on, that there's more cars that sort of are, are out of their control, so sure. to speak. It's sure. up to the driver's discretion and not bunched up behind the safety car. So that may be their reasoning, but uh, I do think it makes sense to to look at that. Um, because when you look at all the different, uh, all the different improvements they're trying to make to safety, some of which is in terms of crashes, some of it, you know, like tire tethers and, and you know different cockpit things uh, when cars are flying over each other, and obviously roll hoops and all kinds of things. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. But to look at something as simple as preventing crashes from just having really fast drivers, and really slow drivers, and having to get out of the way and yeah. you know keeping yeah. their eyes in the mirrors, I think it just makes sense. I completely agree, and uh, with that, I think we should talk a little bit about Felipe Massa. Um, who, you know, talk about uh, Mark Webber's early pit stop. Massa pitted after the first lap mm-hmm. and got his pit stop out of the way, um, put primes on, and that was that for him. Um, interesting strategy. Um, you could call it the inverse of Vettel's strategy at Monza, and uh, it, it seemed to work quite well for him. 
Yeah, I mean, he got, like I said, across the line in 10th and uh, later turned up to, to 8th. But uh, just, yeah, good drive through the field for him. And uh, it was good to see that early on. Um, and But uh, Robert Kubica, with another interesting, uh, not really strategic call, but just the way Pitts ended up working out for him, um, did, and we've seen this a couple of times this year when, uh, for some reason, usually some kind of, t- you know, whether it's a tire goes down or whatever. In this case, I guess it was the uh, pneumatic valves, like his, he lost air pressure uh, or was had a slow leak uh, on the uh, air pressure for the pneumatic valves in his engine. Uh, but they had to bring Robert Kubica's Renault into the pits, and while he's there, we might as well put some tires on the car. So it was one of these rare combinations where he's light on fuel because it's late in the race, and he's got new tires. Um, and was able to just make all kinds of great passes late in the race. And that, uh, and, and actually got back up. Um, did he make up all the positions he lost by pitting? I think, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I think, think he's either in, he was either in sixth or seventh when he pitted and he finished seventh. Yeah. He was in so, sixth cause he, he didn't get around Barrichello, but, but it was tons of fun to watch, but it was great. I mean, it just, you know, it, like his Massa, you know, late in the race, like we just mentioned, his tires were then, you know, what, 60 laps Quite old well or whatever. Up. Uh, Kubis's tires were fresh and he was maximizing. He was extremely fast. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't. He was making a lot of passes that I didn't think – I was surprised that they could be made. And he made them all cleanly. Yeah. Quite quite impressive driving. I mean, it only strengthens the rumors that he belongs in a Ferrari. Um, is that going to happen as soon as next year? I, I don't – you know, I don't know how that would work exactly. Certainly would feel bad for Felipe if it did happen. But, man, Ferrari would have a hard time, I think, dealing with two drivers as good as Kubica and Alonso. Yeah. And and also, you know, like we've talked about in the past, the disparity between the different tires. If any time someone went on the went on the, the option tire and they were more like Kubica was, and everyone when everyone else was on the uh, on the standard, uh, be, you know, getting passed upon, that could also be one of these uh, one of the keys to cracking overtaking. Where we still, you know, some guys. And what was interesting though too with, uh, with Kubica is he went on to the harder tire. He didn't go. You'd think for the last, you know, for for a blast for the last whatever it was, fifteen laps or something. Right, right. He would go to the uh, to the super soft and and make make the most of it. But apparently his car just they decided it worked better with uh, the harder tire. And but even just yeah, the fresh hard tires was all he needed to to make you know lots of passes and just look very very racy. A lot on you know, under braking, uh, mid corner stuff. It was uh, just some great driving from Kubica. Absolutely, totally agree. I I think uh, no matter what, he deserves to be in a top team, whatever that means. If Renault becomes a top team yet again, or if he ends up going to a place like Ferrari, uh, Kubica has time and again proven himself an extremely quick driver and also i think matured to the point where he's very good at developing a car building a team and uh, you know has everything it takes to be a world champion and speaking of world champions uh, we're getting down to the wire of who's going to be the 2010 champion we are um really really briefly i hate to interrupt that was a sweet segue oh no i know i'm sorry you gotta unsegue my segue talking about end of the race man okay heike kovalainen oh right (laughs) so poor guy uh so there was well so earlier on, there was this crash between um, was it Schumacher and uh, Kobayashi. and Kobayashi, where Schumacher's front wing got all deranged. It was like just dragging yeah, and sparking, sparking and yeah. it looked pretty sweet. You know, it was like night under night racing. You know, it's kind of uh, it kind of had some cool looks to it. Uh, but then, yeah, Jim and I would not be opposed to um, mandatory sparks. Yeah, for the Singapore Grand Prix, it was it was pretty great because it like didn't slow him down that much, so he was still going like pretty freaking fast and had sparks going everywhere. That was that was kind of sweet. But uh, Hagi Kovalainen had a spectacular fire failure. Um, it, it 
There were two laps to go, I and think it yeah, was. Jim and I are yelling at the TV. It's like it's on fire. Go line and, and get out like of the car. Slowing, he's like slowing down, but not by that much. Yeah, and he's and, like, uh, "Someone look at my car." I'm like, "No, you look at the car. It's on fire." Yeah, it was it was a pretty serious fire, and, and he actually went right past pit in. And I don't know if his team told him to do that, or if maybe that's why he was slowing down. Not <laughs> the team's sure. like, like, uh, uh, like kind of away the pits because it, you know, the pit lane is not really where you want a flaming car. I mean, it's good because there's like potentially some <laughs> marshals there, uh, but and lots of people to attend to it. But he wanted also, to he wanted to avoid the ten thousand dollar penalty. I think also, that's what it was. There's also lots of people that. Could could be set on fire so <laughs> that would also be a challenge with such namely hecky Kovalainen. and if he doesn't get out of the freaking car yeah. it was like it's getting closer to the tank there's a lot of hot oil right there like get out of the car yeah and, and uh, he did he got out of the car he signaled the uh stewards like give me a fire extinguisher he put out his own fire yeah while this was on the last lap what and this was right near the start finish line while f1 cars are zipping by at 180 miles an hour Bing! And he's walking around the car. I'm like, Christ, what happens if someone... Uh, anyway, points to Heggie Kovalainen for, for ballsiness. That was, yeah, that was pretty cool. And he, fire put out ability. Yeah, he was actually not classified as retired. He was classified as finishing three laps down. But he retired. And it also says fire <laughs> next, to, next to his entry. So, yeah, uh, so that happened. Good on Kovalainen to keep his wits about him. Uh, and he says, now I'm a fireman as well. There's this nice article where he... Or, speaking of being a fireman world championship. Yeah, see, you screwed it that, up. That oh, doesn't, that, doesn't uh, work so well anymore. And look at the pictures of this fire are pretty incredible. Though. Was, all right. Was, Can we move on? Big. Yes. Pyromaniac over here. All right. Mark Weber is still in the lead of the championship. He has actually gained, um, but uh, no longer uh, with Lewis Hamilton in second place. He's been demoted to third, still with 182 points. Fernando Alonso with 25 points this weekend, 191 points, only 11 points behind Mark Weber, roughly five points on the old system. Very, very close. It looks like it could be between those two, ultimately not. Hamilton and Alonso, yeah. or Hamilton and Weber. Sorry, um, but Hamilton is still in third. It's definitely still in striking yeah, distance. Yeah, one point above Vettel. Yeah, one point above Vettel, and Jensen Button still right there. He's now twenty-five points behind Mark Weber. That's one race win away. Four points behind Sebastian Vettel. Jensen, he he's the strategic master. He could definitely still pull a thing or two out. And Jensen, I mean, he's proving pretty consistently not quite as quick as Hamilton. But he's gotten a lot better and a lot closer to be in the top you know qualifying areas. Yeah, two DNFs in the last two <laughs> that, races. That's definitely the points Button scored compared to Hamilton these last couple of races is extraordinary. So uh, that's the top five. Uh, in sixth place, Felipe Massa has 128 points. Like we said, uh, definitely yeah, still... 55 points behind Jensen. I mean, that's he's yeah. mathematically possible, but otherwise really not, not going to happen. Yeah, uh, 49 points actually, Math Wizard. But uh, definitely still statistically in it but not hey takeaways not are hard really. man <laughs> uh so anyway but uh, it's gonna be very interesting to see because what we have to consider is the pace of the cars and the racetracks we're going to suzuka is a definitely a quick place mm-hmm. uh 300r for example mm-hmm. magnificent corner um a lot of fast sweepers um that first sector one of suzuka is pretty tremendous um it sounds like a red bull kind of track but if uh ferrari uh, is good enough for Alonso to do what he's doing. It, it could be very, very exciting to watch. I'm, I'm definitely excited. We've seen some magic from Alonso, and I have to correct you on the 130R. 
Uh, I don't know what. Oh, what did I say? Three hundred R. I don't know if that's, it'd be better if it were three hundred. No, wouldn't that? I think that's the corner radius, and so a three hundred meter radius would yeah. not be very exciting. Well, it'd at be all. like a you know oval. Yeah. Anyway, hence worse. Uh, so <laughs> no, we've seen some Alondo magic uh, at Suzuka, and uh, you know, although I, I think the Red Bulls will continue to be strong, uh, and, and uh, Sebastian Vettel, uh, you know, he displayed a much uh, much more appropriate demeanor. Uh, this weekend, and he did try to pull out of his pit box in second gear. Uh, he quickly remedied the situation, didn't stall it, but he did have that little. And he didn't issue. pout about it afterwards. He didn't blame, you know, the right rear tire guy for that. For example, oh, you know, my the lollipop guy didn't tell me to go into first. Had I, you know, something like that. It just said nope. in gear. It didn't say which gear <laughs> exactly. Um, so Vettel, I think, I, 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 I just have this, I have this vision of Vettel being Senna like on uh, Suzuka. So. Um, you know, I think he could be quite quick. Like as well. he'd have those sweet sunglasses. You know, those sunglasses are fantastic. And as soon as I get a pair, you're going to be so jealous. You're going to be just like I. And I'm like, sorry, you you can't hang with this. All right. But anyway, so yeah, I'm looking. Uh, I'm looking for the Red Bulls to be very quick. And uh, I, I don't know the McLarens. It's it's harder to say. The the car itself seems to be struggling a little bit. Lewis Hamilton is brilliantly good at about muscling it together but it, uh, that makes a lot more sense at a place like singapore he also happens to crash out of the races a lot. <laughs> but but again i mean singapore it's a street course the grip levels are inconsistent it's bumpy so it's it's a lot more difficult to get the maximum out of the car so a guy like lewis hamilton can really excel places like that suzuka is more of a fast sweeper really proper very smooth racetrack where a good car versus a bad car can really show itself so i think McLaren's going to have a much harder time um, at Suzuka at the very least now. Then Korea is a total unknown, and then then we have Brazil and Abu Dhabi. It is a bit unknown that. actually whether or not we'll be racing in Korea. There is some, <laughs> well, there's there's that. some concern because they missed Jim, their Jim and our mind vote is to go to Monza again because that track's awesome and pizza and pizza really as the good. taste of the race is, <laughs> is always a solid choice. Not taste of the race anymore. Culture of the race. We're gonna we're gonna well we're gonna try to keep that going anyway. Right. Uh, so anyway, you're, you're talking a little bit like predictions, but we are not ready for that yet. Uh, we've we've still got to uh, we got to get we got to hear from our fans first. So let's do that. Vanessa Satur said, "Singapore is Fernando's 25th win. He's equaled Lauda and Clark, and is now sixth overall in F1 wins behind Schumi, Prost, Senna, Mansell, and Stewart. Absolutely superb drive, Vanessa." Thank you very much. You are one of the many, many fans that gives us awesome feedback and observations, just like that one I just quoted. This is listener feedback. This is what we're all about. It's fantastic that we can have this. 747 people like us on Facebook, Jim. That's a lot of people that like us. Be a part of it. And there are a great number, countless numbers of people that visit F1show.com. Yes. Uh, ten people actually left comments, or some people left ten comments uh, <laughs> on, on the post. But uh, if you go to F1show.com, that's the place to find information about our Facebook page. There's a link to it right there. Our Twitter stream, we are at the F1 show if you use the Twitter nets. Um, but also leave comments right in the post there, and you can also go and look at old shows and, uh, and, and see everything there. But uh, I want to acknowledge the people that left us comments on this past episode from the Italian Grand Prix. Cornbrecca, uh, a usual uh, you, uh, a regular contributor, um, and uh, just just giving his uh, his thoughts on there. And uh, yeah, man, Hamilton snuffed it once again, and uh, the, the top the four, bottom four in the top five were so very lucky that he did so. Um, that is absolutely true. We've got uh, Mark, who I believe is the perennial. Uh, 
Weber favorite who will be rooting for Weber even long after he's dead or whatever. And he's one of now many. I, the the Weber fan base is growing weekly, I have to say. We had a, a question about the F-duct, which was answered by uh, Rob, a later contributor. Uh, Henry Lake we'll talk about in a moment. And uh, and it, he did agree with us that uh, Hulkenberg should have gotten a penalty for cutting corners. We talked about that. Yes, uh, absolutely. That was uh, from Italy. Uh, Ken Frischnecht uh, also <laughs> has says, happy 80th podcast for the Singapore GP. Thank you for that. We, Isn't that Ken Frischnecht? You know, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Um, I like that better. Tell him he, to change it. He you pointed out it. that uh, Monza was, was, was weird for Red Bull because Vettel finished where Weber started and Weber finished where Vettel started. I Very think true. I even said the names correctly that time, which is kind of amazing for that sentence. Well, I think you could inverse it and, and, and still be correct. Uh, not, well, yeah, but the, uh, still, I'd screw it up somehow. <laughs> um, also, he, he pointed out the rumors at that point that Nick Heidfeld could replace Sauber's Pedro de la Rosa for the rest of the season starting at Singapore. That turned out to be true, so uh, I guess honorary Coke for Ken there. Uh, and then uh, Tony Bird, a, uh, a usual contributor to us as well. Um, it just uh, leaves his uh, his thoughts on here talking about um, the retired drivers as stewards and how that's worked really well and seems to have gotten some uh, some good feedback oh, previously. Oh, absolutely. I think that, that's been a, um, overall a very positive thing. But and he says it seems to have fallen down at, at, uh, from Italy, though. And the same thing about the Hulkenberg penalty. Um, he says, you know, I don't see how Hulkenberg could stay in front of Weber by cutting so many chicanes so many times and not get a penalty. But again, we don't uh, – I, I agree with that absolutely, but we can't specifically blame that on the drivers. Yes, because we don't know how much uh, you know. We we just know they're part of the part of the committee, right? Uh, but if the whole committee says, "Oh, no penalty for this guy," and the driver's like, "Well, maybe we should do a penalty," we don't know exactly what the right. dynamics are. Exactly. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, thanks, Michael Johansson or Michael Johnson uh, says that we've been blasting its eardrums with uh, music that's way louder than our voices, and I apologize for that. Uh, we do try to check the levels and everything and make everything yeah. reasonable, but uh, appreciate the heads up. Uh, hopefully, that has been fixed for this episode. And if you're still listening now, then it probably has been. So thanks for the uh, for the note on that. Jim, question: uh, Nothing from Rants on F1. No. Oh, yeah. I wanted to bag on him some more. Come up with something. There's always something we can rib him for, which is great. Well, I, I think like that. Well, he was, he was, good, uh, was he yelling at us for bagging Schumacher all the time? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, first of all, I was surprised that Michael Schumacher even raced in this race. Isn't it way past his bedtime by the time <laughs> night races come around? See, I wasn't going to, I was going to finally see it. Okay. No old jokes this podcast. And boom, there you go. He got I mean, one. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> to the point that it was Michael Schumacher's first night race in F1 because, you know, he was out in, uh, in 08 and 09. So, uh, anyway. I'm surprised he made it. He stayed up for the entire thing. He only had, you know, several accidents. Well, I think the only way I think (laughs) I think what helped a lot was they promised to crash. He did. They they promised to Tivo Matlock for him, so that that made him feel better. By the way. Catches reruns of Gunsmoke, so that would be good. Um, or whatever the German equivalent is, I'm sure that he'll watch. Uh, Ian Greenstreet uh, writes in as well uh, and just says, uh, you know, he wants to see Weber win it. Um, I actually replied to Michael, so I guess I give myself credit for feedback on that. Yay! And, and uh, Tristan um, says, uh, you know, mentions that uh, we didn't talk about Sakan Yamamoto hitting his own pit crew. Uh, we did get that mention in this time, in this in this episode, so I think we've made our fans happy yeah and uh, a, a couple more uh facebook shout outs uh jaffa graves uh wrote it's so hard to dislike weber keeps coming off as a classy guy in every situation he's involved in by the way vodafone suspension bits must be made of glass uh, or actually he wrote must be mad of glass i think he meant made anyway um that is just growing and growing and growing more and more people want to see mark weber win they like the man and uh you know, I, I, it seems like the energy is going Weber's way. However, I think Alonzo is going to make it tough. Uh, not to mention, 
Vettel and potentially Hamilton. And to say Weber's really made the best of every situation he puts himself in, I have to take issue with that on one particular point. Uh, we were talking about, you know, hot wives and girlfriends, you know, like Jensen Oh, Barton dear, let's not go there. Oh, because he's you know, a hot, nice guy. Girlfriend she and, might have a great personality. So, so my wife Googled, uh, he's like, well, who is, you know, is Mark Weber married or what's what's the deal, you know? Listen, and, there's, there's several it's, factors it's, other than our interpretation of her looks that could be involved in such a partnership. She's probably an amazing woman. Great personality. She's, she's a real personality. <laughs> um, anyway, if you've got any exciting feedback to, uh, if you've got questions, comments, uh, if you want to join our discussion. We love you, Mark Weber, by the way. If you hate what we talk about, if you like it, uh, let us know. Maybe you that can, was an old picture of her and she just had a bad a young, day. a young picture of Mark Weber at the same time. <laughs> okay. Just, just look, look, look it up. Uh, I forget what her name is. And it's something hard to spell anyway. Do you remember the reaction when we first saw the new design of the uh, modern F1 cars with the higher wings and the new bigger of, front wings? And we're like, like, oh! It's kind of like, oh, who's Mark Weber? Like, oh, boy. <laughs> anyway. Um, She's – that's awful. We're bad people. We are probably bad people, and Mark Weber's no longer going to want to be our friend. But um, <laughs> if you need to weigh in on this debate, which is clearly a very insightful debate and something you need to weigh in on. It's so important. I'm almost afraid to ask our listeners to come up with that because they'll come up with stuff. Um, but anyway, visit F1Show.com. You can see links to Twitter and Facebook and all kinds of things and leave uh, comments there, and uh, we always appreciate it. So if you disagree with us, that's even fun too, and let us know. Hate mail from Mark Weber can be sent to Jim at the F1 show dot com. Thank you. Trivia. 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 Of course, that means it's trivia time. And uh, as the races from, from the last race we had at Monza from just really fast racing and uh, sweeping corners to this race at Singapore, which is all tight, twisty, slow, technical corners. Um, that's the, the nature of our trivia questions as well. So the last question was um, the, uh, you know, we know the, we know Mons is the fastest track in F1. And what, what was the fastest lap ever recorded by an F1 car? And it was sort of a cheater question in that uh, it was at Monza. So it was, it was not like, oh, Indianapolis 500. Sometime there was a lap that was really fast. Or Although whatever. we did get a guess. Somebody did think outside of the box and guessed that it was the F1 car lap done by the Stig um, uh, on the Top Gear track. Yeah. And that may be possibly an F, a lap time record because it was under a minute. Where it was just around a minute, but we we were thinking of the highest average yeah, speed, fastest in terms of speed, not and quickest. certainly certainly the uh, Top Gear track wouldn't have been that. So, uh, right. that was wrong. So the answer the uh, was a uh, one minute nineteen point five two five seconds, driven by none other than uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, <laughs> El Gordo himself. El um, Gordo. Uh, but uh, yeah, which uh, over if you do the math, see how long is Monza? That works out to 162.968 miles an hour average average speed, speed Whoa. which is uh, which is pretty great. That was in the practice uh, in, in Friday practice for the Italian Grand Prix in 04. and that was back when practice times set the qual- you know, when you got to go out on your single flying lap qualifying. Uh-huh. So it was it was officially recorded during an F1 session, but it wasn't. The uh, it wasn't in qualifying. That wasn't pole position time. Actually, Rubens Barrichello had um, had the fastest qualifying time. He was on pole for that race, but his lap wasn't as fast as JPM's qual- uh, practice lap. So, and of course, that was back in the day where they ultimately had less downforce, and they still had the three liter of V10s. Yes. So yeah, man, just about 163 miles an hour average over the course of the lap, which is pretty great. And uh, that's 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 your answer. So uh, moving on. Uh, we're talking about slower racetracks with uh, less than ideal results for everybody. 
uh, street circuits usually have lots of retirements. And today was no exception. Yeah, absolutely no we exception. Had, uh, officially eight cars out, although I'm going to go ahead and say that Heki Kovalainen's car or hulking wreckage uh, burnt, you know, right. carcass of a car. Yes. Uh, I'm going to also call that a retirement and say That nine, is a bold statement, yeah, sir. Uh, nine cars out of the race, so lots of retirements, and uh, which, which uh, so let's... Let's look at the last time you know we've had a car a race with no retirements. Uh, there have been a few, um, so they you know what's what's the most recent race? And I'm you know trying to think back over the last couple seasons, and uh, you have to go back a little bit to, uh, to see you know the the most recent race where uh, every car that started finished. I'm going to give you a hint. Simple as that. I'm going to give all of you a hint. Uh oh. This race was not Singapore. That's a bold hint. Bold. Not really. So, uh, contact us in any of the ways that we mentioned, f1show.com, uh, comments, whatever, Facebook, Twitter things, and uh, with, your, with your answers to that question, your, your best guesses. And, you know, just try not to be just a cheater and look it up on Wikipedia if you don't, you know, if you don't know it, whatever. Um, otherwise, you can be like us <laughs> where we just looked it up on Wikipedia. Um, but hey. You're scolding people for doing what we did. But we did it first. But we... <laughs> True enough. Oh my, once again, uh, Jim and I, every race for you guys, go out on a huge limb. Two weeks, three weeks, even four weeks in advance of the next GP sometimes. So we it's say, almost like it's a small limb because it's less secure than <laughs> a huge limb, which would not oh, oh, be or, so much of a risk. Okay, <laughs> we go out on a long, small limb that bends over. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway, to predict for you guys, which of course we did for Singapore... And uh, I have to say, it went brilliantly awful for me. But be that as it may, it happened. Um, Jim, we'll start with you. Yes. You uh, so predicted. valiantly, yeah, yeah. boldly predicted Weber to be on pole and Weber to win the race. Yeah. You were wrong, of course. He qualified fifth and finished third, giving you six points on the board. I, however... Decided that no, 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 no. Sebastian Vettel is going to be back in form. Mm-hmm. He's going to be impressive. He's going to be mature now. Sebastian Vettel is going to be on pole, which he almost was. He was second. But then I said, you know what? You know who's going to win? Hamilton is looking awfully good. He's oh. very aggressive, so on and so forth. Yeah, this is after Hamilton crashed out of a race for some accident. And I said being he's a little bit aggressive. Cover from that and do that. Oh. Point being, Hamilton finished 19th, not first. That gives me 19 points total because Sebastian Vettel also finished second, not first. So, Jim, you win. You win 13 Cokes. Congratulations. Sweet. How would I do against the stat model? Oh, dear. Well, see, here's the thing. Oh, boy. Fernando Alonso at Monza secured pole position and won the race. Yeah. The oh. stat model then stupidly says, well, that's going to happen again. So, uh, Fernando Alonso is going to get pole and win the race. <sighs> that's exactly how, what he did. kind of how that went. So, uh, yeah, the stat model had a perfect score, zero points. Owned us both. And we also had a fan predict, as always. And uh, we were actually pretty nice this time. Henry Lake, we picked, um, who had Vettel to be on pole and Vettel to win the race. Of course, he did not. He was second and second. That is two points for the fans. One of your best score, uh, scores this season. So Good job, fans. Good job, fans. Um, but who cares about that? That's the past. That's old stuff, man. Suzuka is coming up. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the track a little bit already. 130R is one of the corners. Uh, should be 300 R. Um, Shouldn't be. It's better at 130. One of the many great traits of the track, not to mention that the you, you, the track crosses itself 
Um, it's and, like a figure eight kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's very, very cool. Weird looking eight. There's a bridge, everybody. There's a bridge. Don't panic. Um, how do you think it's going to happen? Blah, 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 blah. Vettel, Vettel. Wow. Yes. Okay. There it is. Well, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and put that in there. That doesn't give me nearly as much time to think about it as I would have liked. Dude's fast. He, he is absolutely He's going to make it work. It's going to be Vettel, Vettel. It's going to be all good. See, I'm going to go with the crowd favor. I'm going to say Weber, Weber. Ooh. Yeah. Which is, which is kind of the gym stat model from last time, right? <laughs> I agree with you in the sense that uh, I think the Red Bulls are definitely going to be quick. I think the McLarens are going to struggle some. We talked about this a little bit earlier. And I have a really hard time believing that Alonso can make it three in a row perfect. Um, I think he'll be very quick, but I don't. I, I think I think this is going to be Red Bulls track. Somehow Robert Kubitz is going to win. I don't know, but no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think the Red Bulls are going to be back at it. It's going to be. It's going to suit them well. And uh, yeah, I yeah. Guess. There it is. So so, so we agree. Uh, well, unfortunately, and almost. A team, but... Well, of course, but I mean, you know, I, you you like to pick immaturity, and I like to pick you know maturity. I think that's uh, some of that. I I'm I'm uh, with the crowd favorite. Oh, but what if there's like team orders and they get Weber to win the race? Oh man, maybe that's a bad prediction. I'm sticking with what I got. You I said sti- it. You stick I, with what yep, you got. My um, snap judgment will stand. The statistical model, however, disagrees with us and does think that Fernando Alonso is going to make it a hat trick and get three pole positions and three race wins. Idiot. So that's uh, where we got. So man. All right, two weeks away, we're on round sixteen, for sure. Yeah, and that's uh, and d- there are either three or four races left in the cal- in the calendar, depending uh, exactly what happens <laughs> in Korea. Uh, I'm hoping to see a race in Korea. I think that'd be cool to uh, you know brand new track and uh, another anti clockwise one and a whole new country. And Karun Chandok already did a lap on the place. What what what's left to do? Korean barbecue is t- delicious. So yes, I'm, re- I'm looking forward to that on all counts. But you uh, can have all the kimchi though. That stuff doesn't sit well. With uh, me. Fair enough. But, uh, yeah, we'll have uh, another show for you from the uh, Japanese Grand Prix. Until then, I'm Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. Y'all take care now. You hear? The F1 Show is hosted by Jim Lau and Robin Warner. Many thanks to our editor, Jim Lau. We couldn't do trivia without our fact finder, Robin Warner. A tip of our hat to producers Robin Warner and Jim Lau, as well as our executive producers Robin Warner and Jim Lau. Of course, a thousand thank yous to our excellent catering service, Restaurants. And finally, we'd like to offer a huge thank you to Bio Bonsai for use of their song Inspector B from the Big Band album for our outro and intro music. The F1 Show is brought to you by two Americans who love the sport of F1, Jim Lau and Robin Warner.